1: Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. Now back to Damon and Rattle on 95.7
2: The Game. All right, great to have you. Thanks for joining us over here on the Odyssey stream. I know in a matter of moments, Dana Carvey is going to be joining us on the Bud Light guest line. Bud Light, easy to drink, easy to enjoy. You give me a thumbs up, Grandy, when that is about to happen. Dana Carvey is one of the funniest living human beings we actually have on the planet. And he is a... a Bay Area legend. He is a comedy legend. He is a Saturday Night Live, like top shelf performer in the history of the entire. what well, I mean, what, what is Saturday Night Live's in like year forty five now or whatever it is? Dana Carvey, one of the absolute funniest guys on the planet, and and a uh, San Francisco State alumni in '77. He won San Francisco's stand up comedy competition. Uh, was that like an NCAA tournament style? Two men enter, one man leave? I I, I want to find out about it. Dana Carvey, nice enough to join us here. Damon and Ratto on 95.7 The Game. Dana, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your time today. How are you?
3: Not a problem. Love to talk about my Niners. Damon and Ratto. Not Ray, but oh, could be Ray.
4: It is. The Sorry. Are... All right. Yeah,
3: the... uh, Yeah. 77, man. I got... I've really lived a long time. I feel incredible, and I look amazing. You can ask my wife. But, um, yeah, that was just, um, I was going to San Francisco State, and, you know, I just was trying stand-up. I was bombing. I The first night I did stand-up at a dive in Berkeley, I thought, I think I could do this. I was watching open micers, and then this other, this guy came up, and he was extraordinary. I go, I don't know about this, and it was Rob Williams. <laughs> <laughs>
2: So, yeah, I could see how that would be a little intimidating for sure. Do you remember who you beat out for the title in 77?
3: Oh, sure. I mean, (laughs) I think A. Whitney Brown was there. Um, I think um, Mark McCollum was favored. He was a guitar player, impressionist, and he went overtime. You had to have 15 minutes. I only had five at the beginning of the round, robin. you would go and do five minutes at different crazy clubs. And then, so I had to write a bit to get to 15, and I was in the third spot. I won uh, over Gil Krishner by 3.3 of a point or something. It was a lot of luck. And then Robin handed me a $500
2: check, and Mort Saul was there. Very nice. <laughs> Very nice. How, how um, breaking of comedy protocol is it to go over your allotted time? Um. I mean, I guess if you're in, killing, in, that's... In that, that's... a comedy
3: competition, it was just, that was the rule. Can't go over 20. You know, because it, it was a competition, it was like a reality show. And it didn't, it just was playing by the rules, and Mark accident went over. But in, in if you're a middle act, I had a middle act once at Cobb's Comedy Club in San Francisco do 70 in the late show. He was a middle act supposed to do 30, and he did 70. <laughs> that's a little bit much when you're the headliner. To follow 70... He goes, was that 70? I go, yeah, it was. What <laughs> that preven- was Rob Becker who did Defending the Caveman. Hi, Rob. He's, he's retired in Ross.
4: What so, prevented you from strangling him?
3: I, you know, I I just... I kind of liked him. I, I didn't... You know, it wasn't... If I was auditioning for something, you know... Um, you got used to the rough and tumble. Sometimes you'd have... Uh, Club owners that would sabotage you, could you turn the piano mic up and they would turn it down? You would be doing comedy, and then there'd be some dude drunk standing at the edge of the stage <laughs> and I, I never tried to hold my ground. Some guys would like start swinging or take the mic and fight the guy. I always just said, "You got it, go ahead, man,
2: knock yourself out."
3: So I was just, I had beer thrown at me hell 's angels attacking you know so it was just it 's a rough and tumble sport.
2: Dana Carvey here on Damon and Ratto. And by the way, we're all on the same team. I know the podcast that you do, Fly on the Wall with David Spade, is an odyssey. Uh, Cadence 13, I believe, and Odyssey are the same thing. And and mm-hmm. we're Odyssey, so it's it's like we all know each oh. other, basically.
3: Uh, it's been an interesting thing. This whole world, which Joe Rogan and Mark Marin kind of, at least on the broad stroke, started it you know, in 2010 or whatever, and then it just kept grow- growing and growing, still growing. So it's just fun to be interviewing your friends uh, over Zoom a lot of the time. It's the craziest job ever. <laughs> it really is. I you, mean, it, you don't even have to leave your house. But we do in person sometimes at David's Mansion.
2: <laughs> Are you a nice, very nice? I, uh, I'm, I'm sure you're living humbly up there in Mill Valley yourself. But uh, look, well,
3: I, that's one of my homes. Put it that way. Dang. But I, 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 I'm, I'm not a fancy person. I, I have. I don't. I don't really. Need much? That's be your
4: February home, then.
3: Yeah, yeah, exactly.
2: <laughs> have you become <laughs> a better interviewer since you've been doing the show?
3: Um, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm still kind of humbled by it. I know that if you 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 have to prepare and then listen. Sometimes it's pulling teeth a little bit, and you're trying to find a narrative. And sometimes you have someone come coming to play. And it's just going, and that, that makes it easy. But what you guys do and are doing right now, I get it. You know, we have limited time. What do we ask him? You know, I understand what you're going through, but I'm easy. Don't worry. i got nowhere to go.
4: <laughs> okay. As a fan, two important questions.
0: Sure.
4: What, what section did you typically sit in, and did you go to the rim of the stadium and look out over the bay when you smoked your dope, or did you go in the men's room like everybody else?
3: Uh, my pot smoking days were pretty short lived after I started thinking there was someone in the house that I didn't know (laughs) Uh, you know paranoia is not not a good feeling but I did go through a phase Um, you know I brought pot to Scatman Carruthers who was a famous kind of musician who was on a sitcom with me with Mickey Rooney and Nathan Lane and um, he had horrible pot so I did fly with it. I don't, this is like 1981. I don't remember it, but I brought it to him because his pot was so bad. The next day in the elevator, remember he's from the 1930s, he played, played the ukulele. He goes, the music was good. Might I get a pound? <laughs> 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 Seriously. Might I get a pound? And it was all that sort of illegal stuff. I would it the music, but anyway. So I had my pot smoking days, but I kind of, you know, that camp down. Was in a, was, I, I finally got down to just light beer of See, all the little toys. I couldn't do cocaine. I did cocaine once and I drove to the Holy City Zoo to do comedy and I thought, why should I go in there? They all hate me. And I drove back home. It wasn't a good drug for me.
4: <laughs> uh, well, I, was, yeah, I wasn't trying to examine your drug history. I was trying to examine your pot history at Candlestick because <laughs> the, this, there, that was a second-hand haven back then even when they when they were bad when they were good if you could walk you know down those aisles and not get a contact high you weren't trying
3: i know i guess it's a lot stronger now but yeah in those days i would go with my friends this would probably been in the 70s i think it was a buck to sit out for a night game a giants night game and way up in the bleachers in left field never been that cold in my life
2: (laughs) i remember and and look i'm guessing you have been reading the sporting green forever dana which is why you know ray's name and 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 i remember bruce jenkins wrote a column about the contact high you used to be able to get at warriors games like the the pot was so thick underneath the stands and bleacher before they redid oracle arena i guess it was a great place to go get a contact high
3: well, New York City right now, because I was there in October, you could get a contact high, open air, walking down the street. So <laughs> nice. it, it's, two point, it's 2.0 It's now. It's, a, it's, a, it's good, a whole other thing.
2: Good way to bring back the tourists for sure. Dana Carvey joining Damon and Ratto here on the uh, Bud Light guest line. Who brought you to your first Bay Area sporting event? Was it a dad, an uncle, like so many of us?
3: Um... Probably was a friend and his dad. I think it was the Cow Palace to see the Warriors. Um, maybe, yeah, maybe Rick, Rick Berry was in there. John Brody uh, gave me an MVP certificate in 1966. I was on a flag football team. He's a famous 49er uh, quarterback. Um, and I caught a pass from Joe Montana.
2: Very cool. Very cool. On
3: Saturday Night Live.
2: I was about to say. And I'm guessing you had a... Was Jordan during – did Jordan host when you were there? Oh, 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 yeah, Mikey. Yeah, yeah, absolutely.
3: <laughs> it, it was interesting to see. Uh, like, Jordan was, you know, so charismatic, and everyone was like, you know, it was, it, he, he really stood out as somebody that was kind of intimidating. And I was sitting next to him in the read-through, and before it starts, he kind of goes – he says to me, do you golf? And I go, well, occasionally, I'm really not very, uh, you know, I, I I don't, I mean, I'd be lucky to break 100. And then he paused. <laughs> He's like, he goes, well, you're not very good, are you? <laughs> <laughs> be like, no, I'm not.
2: No, but I'm going <laughs> to get, <laughs> get your ass through Saturday Night Live on Saturday, so you better treat me right, Michael. <laughs> so let's talk tea well, times.
3: Well, you know, it was interesting to see someone who, that brilliant being out of his element and looking at the script and... I was kind of nervous going into sketches, and I was the one to go, Michael, don't worry. If you have to, just look at the card and read the line. You know, Christopher Walken did that. It worked fine. Don't put pressure on yourself. So, you know, I, I just try to help him as best I could.
4: As a 49er fan, were you more obnoxious when they were bad or more obnoxious when they were good?
3: Um, you know, a lot of it, I have three older brothers. So my brother Scott and I ritualized the Niners. Um, you know, it, it's, if you really grow up in the Bay area, it's just the Niners, the Warriors, and the Giants. I also have a soft spot for the Raiders, but those are my teams through thick and thin. But when Montana came in and that run came in, my brother, he had a little figure of Joe Montana that was made out of cloth. And on third and long, he would say, he would hold it up and say, the power of Joey compels you. And as right as, like from The Exorcist, (laughs) the power of Joey compels you. And right as he snapped the ball, he would throw it at the TV on third and long. If Joey scored a touchdown, he had a football helmet filled with beer, and he would pass it around, and everyone would have to drink of it. So he ritualized it. He's going crazy right now. He lives in Florida with the Niners. Crazy. Just I, I couldn't describe it. There's a lot of lot of them, but he's one of them. Niner, where, niner, forever.
2: Dana, forever where guy. where will you be watching this weekend's game?
3: Uh, down in Los Angeles, where where the sports franchises aren't too popular up there. Yeah,
2: that's um, all right. We'll forgive you. That's based on the location. That's okay. But once um, have you have you made it into New Levi Stadium? I have not. No, I, you know, I, I do find myself, um,
3: you know, when you have these new TVs that are gigantic and you're getting, I mean, there's, there's nothing like being there live. Don't get me wrong, but it, it's also pretty crazy on television. How many, in- television now?
2: how many inches are you packing?
3: Uh, <laughs> I like the way that's couched 120. No, I think I have like, uh, Nice. So, remember, we had these analog TVs, and I feel like I know much more about the sport with all the replays. And I, I'm more in awe of what they're trying to do, e- even this year, getting so interested in because of Brock Purdy, the story of the century <laughs> in sports, and what quarterbacks do, it's just still, I'm in awe of it. Trying to thread the needle on a pass with people running all around in a split second decision—it's amazing, isn't it? I mean, did you play football, Damon?
2: Uh, yeah, but I was not a—I uh, was not never asked to throw a football. I was just one of the fat kids blocking for the guy who who, who threw the football.
3: <laughs> And when I say I, know, I play football, I mean... Line, that yeah. seems like a thankless job. It's so necessary.
2: It is necessary. And I, I necessarily didn't have the talent to do anything other than be large. So that's that's what I did <laughs> when I was out there. Uh, what would be... Dana Carvey here with us. What would be the comedic equivalent of a seventh-round rookie quarterbacking a Super Bowl appearance? Like, what what would be the comedy equivalent of what Brock Purdy is doing? Jeez. Jeez.
3: That's a good question. It's almost like someone—not quite, but almost like an open micer on like his first night—and there just happens to be a camera there and records this, you know, award-winning special. I mean, he did have forty-eight games or fifty games or some Iowa State, but um, it, it's just a remarkable story. I can't wrap my mind around it. I, I really am just, you know, I, I'm still in awe of what happened to the Niners because I was like. Once Garoppolo went down, okay, season's over. It's okay. He's a rookie. He's going to throw three interceptions. It's all right. It's nerves. And then, and then this is happening. I mean, you guys have been covering sports for a while. This is like Rudy. It's like a movie we're watching. His name's like out of a movie. Sounds like he's out of a, he's a movie character.
2: Rob so, Purdy. Yeah, seriously. It's like the scene in Boogie <laughs> Nights where uh, you you got uh, Burt Reynolds sitting in the hot tub and he's like. These are great names. Guys, these are great names. And it really is. It's, it's a great name. Brock Purdy. I know. You, a screenwriter
3: would be proud to come up with a name like that. Great reference, by the way. Thank you. Boogie, Boogie Nights. Yeah.
4: Um, given the fact that you now have a seventy 77-inch inch screen to watch the games on, how big is the plush toy you throw at the screen when you need to?
3: I don't that my brothers in Florida will be texting during the game. So, so you
4: wouldn't do he's it got by a, proxy for him?
3: He's got figures. He's got figures and little figures that he does that he flushes down the toilet. Last week it was a Seahawks figure and <laughs> the Niners. And then he'll, with Dallas, he's got a little, little funny little figure. It was a Dallas jersey. He'll flush that down the toilet once, once they start to lose. He's got so many rituals. He, he builds a shrine to the Niners in his
4: house. Is he yeah. under supervision by any chance? Uh, he's what we call bipolar. <laughs> no, he's fine. <laughs> he, he doesn't, you
3: know, I sent him a thing. There's a guy in the parking lot at the stadium that I guess has an easy boy chair that he put on a, 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 a wheelchair that, that he can control and runs around. There's a lot of fanatics out there, so he, he felt less lonely. Like, there's not something wrong with him. And what, what is your guy's theory? Because you do this. Like, what? Well, why? Because I used to tell my wife it's all a reality show because she would be bored out of her skull. But then I'd say, you know, this guy just started. this. This team hates this team for this reason. So it's all that. I mean, how do you explain it? It's your livelihood, right?
2: I keep on saying it's the only show on television that's an actual reality show. It's the only show that when it begins, they do not know the end. There won't be a producer influencing character development. There are good guys, there are bad guys. The beautiful thing is, I don't need to sell it to my wife. She grew up in the city. She went to Lincoln High School, and she's a diehard Niner fan. So she's got the boys in jerseys and is as ready to rip as anyone. I don't need to sell it. I don't have, honey. I need to work. Like she, she understands.
3: Imagine this. So my wife. Oh, the NBA. What's that? So in the early mid '80s, I said, "Well, there's this guy named Magic." johnson and there's another guy named larry bird and so she gradually got into that and then was just fanatical about it because of the the, the, the dynamic between those two characters you know but yeah it's uh you know i think saturday Night live just is just connected a little bit saturday Night live i think was inadvertently a quasi reality show two ways one is you have new cast members sometimes and you're seeing can they do it? They've never been on TV before. Like me, I'd never done sketch comedy when I was on. Got on the show. The second one is you're seeing a football player or a hockey player try to do sketch comedy. So if they're kind of bad, so there is a reality show element to that. You know, which is very interesting. Um, I connected football and SNL.
4: I love it. Well, that's <laughs> that's why you make the big money and have a have a house for every month of the year. Uh, how are you How are you playing out Sunday in your mind? Are you the kind of fan who is wildly optimistic no matter what? Or have you spent the week trying to imagine scenarios in which Dallas breaks your heart?
3: You know, I, I trend that way a little bit because I'm kind of invested because I saw Brock in the stands the first night and I see her mom up there going, come on baby, come on baby and then Brock, the uh, last week's game, he throws a couple high, and I saw him mouth to himself, come on, Brock, to himself. So I'm fully invested emotionally, again, with Debo coming back, and the whole team, you know, Kittle so charismatic, and, you know, the whole, so it's like a family. So sometimes I have a hard time. I kind of, sometimes I'll divert my eyes and then hear what happened, and it feels like every time I don't look at the screen, they do something good. I'm not saying I have influence over this game, but it's possible. It could be a science fiction movie. If I look away on, like, third and three, they seem to always do well. Sometimes I look at it, not so good.
4: So, so, so then is it your moral duty to not watch the game at all? Yes.
2: There you go. Or just, just go to the bathroom when they're in the red zone because they're going to have to score
4: here against Dallas this weekend. I'm the best 49er fan ever. I haven't seen a game since 1997, <laughs>
3: <laughs> but I, I, I watch it and I will look at it. And I, 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 I don't. I didn't follow exactly what was going on with Tampa. I know they're a 500 ball club, but I don't know who was injured. But Dallas looked awfully good against. Tampa Bay, you know, and so we'll, we'll see. They're, they're a little scary just because of how physical they are and their quarterback can run. Um, but I don't like to get cocky, right guys? I mean, we've got these hall of famers everywhere. You know, it's like, you know, we've got Bosa. It's, a, it's such an all-star team, but you know, an ankle injury, something happened. It's it's the whimsy of all that stuff too, that will make the game compelling um, no matter what happens.
2: Stay healthy, you know. Christian McCaffrey, between now and the end of the year and this oh, team. Could... McCaffrey,
3: I, I, have you guys, I mean, there's something magic about the way he runs. I mean, there's runners as good as him, but there's something about the way he accelerates, he pauses, the way he protects the ball. That guy, it's freaky how we got him in the middle of the season.
2: He's special. Uh, it's It's one of the greatest. Hey, I knew he was good, but until you watch him every day every game, you don't understand how good he truly is. We all knew he was good when he was with the Panthers, but I don't think anyone really realized that he was this level of NFL good. Of course he played at Stanford, but nobody really talks about Stanford anything. But man, it, it is amazing how good he has been. Dana Carvey, has been awfully good to us. Thank you for all the time. Can we, can we spend a little bit more time with you? Because I, we we got no rules here. We're on the stream. We we, we can just do whatever I have we
3: want. Few, I have a few minutes. Sure.
2: Uh, uh, I, I gotta ask you. A couple of years ago, you and Mike Myers, you're you're doing Super Bowl spots. How cool yeah. is it to watch yourself in a Super Bowl commercial while you're watching the Super Bowl?
3: <laughs> uh, kind of surreal. I mean, you know what what was it three or four years before with Aaron Rodgers, Kevin Dillon, and I did Hans and Franz for the Super Bowl? Yes. So then, then, then we get the uh, Wayne's World one. I'm trying to think what would be, you know, Church Lady maybe two and You can't have a character like, well, 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 you know, we drink our alcohol. Same, you know, that's not going to fly. So, but yeah, um, you know, life is. Uh, they real for everybody I'd say for me Being from San Carlos Bay Area College of San Mateo San Francisco State Barely middle class that To even get on television Was just crazy And to get on Saturday Night Live But I remember with George Four Sr. My friend, hanging out with him And he said to me once He goes, I can hardly believe I was president You yeah, know, Seems kind of like a fever dream didn't know what i was doing no, I just, okay
2: i gave you a little taste of that <laughs> oh, we're drinking it up this is amazing
4: i was hoping it was an actual quote <laughs> <laughs> but uh
2: yeah dana i gotta tell you i i am uh a, a huge saturday night live fan i i read the books i, I watched every documentary around it. it to me it's one of the most important and greatest shows in the history of television and specifically during your time period and and you alone and I'm not trying to butter you up you know to, to
3: I'll take it <laughs> I I really
2: mean it I think you're the single greatest Saturday night live cast member I've ever seen in terms of just crushing it episode after episode week after week quotable the the most quotable level of Saturday night live characters that I had walking into high school the very next day and this this absolutely has to do with my age at the right time because yeah. you know everyone who's 14 15 and 16 watching saturday night live is assuming that this is the greatest era of saturday night live but i've gotten older and i've researched the old eras too i think you truly did that cast with you and dennis miller and love i i think that is the high water mark of the entire what is it near 50 year run of the program now
3: Three more years to 50. Well, that's very nice of you to say. I had a lot of, there's a lot of whimsy to that, too, but coming in with Phil, God rest his soul, we didn't know we would have a full season pickup that year. It was eight shows. So they said if we don't hit the ground running, they're going to pull the plug, believe it or not, because 85 was a rough year. And then the church lady was just something I did as part of my stand-up. I wasn't, you know, Mr. Church Lady, but put the dress on, did the thing, no one thought it would work, and boom. And then I, that was, It was at home base, which is a huge advantage right in the center of the studio. And I had Sean Penn on, and then Phil and and Jan Hooks were doing characters. It was like a perfect thing that happened to me. I got a lot of leverage from that early on. So I wasn't, it still took me 80 shows to relax, but I think by 90 to 93, we had Sandler and Farley and Spade and Chris Rock. It's still, for one more year, we had Dennis, we had Phil, and then Mike Myers came in. We had kind of a, a pretty potent, if you think of it as a sports analogy, we had a very good team, a lot of weapons in those three years.
2: It's like you Bosa, know? Armstead, Kittle, uh, Fred Warner. It's It was an all-star team. It certainly was. Um, you know, there's always warm memories that are attached to your childhood. And the hardest I think I've ever laughed with my mom and dad at the same time was an old hbo special and it's the first Mm -hmm. time we saw chopping broccoli and Mm -hmm. look if you have to explain a joke by definition it doesn't work but sometimes jokes that do work like cannot be explained and this brings me to chopping broccoli like that is one of the funniest things i have ever seen and if you then try to explain it to someone You'd sound absolutely crazy. Why does why did Chop and Broccoli work? Why did that become an iconic comedy routine?
3: It's one it's one of the more mysterious things, but all I can say is I did it at the end of my first show. The premise was the character we gave him a name, Derek Stevens. I'd done it in my stand-up. The premise was a rock star out of inspiration. The Gorney Weaver and Phil Hartman were the record executives. And then they he was pressured to do his new song. So he's cold his eyes, paradise, it's all that kind of horner, you know, and then he's so out of stuff he gets to chop broccoli and it really works. She chop, she chop. So it's it's so ridiculous. I know I don't know what sports announcer, but at least in the recent past when there was a home run there was one sports announcer, he's and he's chopping broccoli. I don't know. Who but, that was on ESPN? Kenny something. Maine.
2: It had to have been Kenny Maine. That just feels like something he would have done. Did you workshop? No, like did Did you workshop other vegetables? Did you arrive at broccoli <laughs> or or was that the, the go to vegetable the entire time?
3: I had it going kind of at the other cafe, Carl and Cole. Uh, there was a little piano there, and then down I was down at LA at the Improv. There was a piano there, and I think between those two locations, somehow broccoli came out and chopping broccoli and just stay there. But, you know, for me, seeing Steve Martin in the 70s or George Carlin, there weren't many jokes. I mean, Steve Martin would do rhythms and stuff. I try to wonder where that came from. Or Monty Python. Um, the absurdity of it, since there's no real joke, it can just extenuate, you know? So I, I, I really don't know, but I do like rhythms and catchphrases. You know, I, I, I can't really write jokes. It's just not in my my wheelhouse, but I do love extending rhythms like, you know, it's just because I always, when I do Biden, I always finish with Pirates of the Caribbean. He always finds his way to Pirates of the Caribbean. (laughs) He says, first he whispers, then he yells, it's time for the rich to pay their fair share. Share. We've got to pay share, Sharon Stone, Tombstone, Pirates of the Caribbean. Dana, Car- inflation.
2: <laughs> Dana Carvey, I got one serious question. Because children of athletes have the burden of like living up to their parents' reputations and careers. Does it work like that for comedians? Was there extra pressure on the Carvey boys to be funny in their lives?
3: You know what? They were all funny. I think Scott's the funniest of us. Brad, who I base Garth on, the guy that tucks like this, I could invent a nuclear bomb with a paperclip. You know, that guy, hysterical. My sister, it was a funny, rough-and-tumble baby boomer family, 1,500 square feet, one bathroom for all the kids, and goofy TV shows of the 60s and 70s. You know, Batman, you know, Wild Wild West. A lot of fighting, a lot of screaming. You know, we go to Montana every summer, you know. The po- do crazy stuff. So, crazy family.
2: The podcast is is fly on the wall. I know that you guys interviewed Lauren Michaels talking about the famous Bill Murray Chevy Chase feud. Did you learn anything about that during your uh, interview with Lauren? Oh, that was, um,
3: yeah. We've and I think other people talked about that. Lorraine Newman, I think, talked about their their feud and Chevy leaving, and they're both giant people. And I guess it was just, you know, they got in it. (laughs) But, Lauren, it was such a thrill to get him to do it, because he doesn't do a lot of stuff like that.
2: No, he really doesn't. Uh, He's a very
3: good character, yes.
2: That's the poll Dana Carvey (laughs) has. You and David Spade, the Fly in the Wall podcast. You and Spade are doing something at the Largo at the end of the month, aren't you, down in L.A.?
3: Yeah, we're going to do a live podcast with our friend Will Ferrell, one of the all-time greats of SNL, yeah. That That'll sounds
2: be fun. Sounds fantastic. Yeah. I wish I could be a fly on the wall for that one, unfortunately. <laughs> I, I gotta be covering the Niners, hopefully, you know, going to the Super Bowl or maybe that's a bye week. Maybe yeah. maybe maybe you can leave a couple tickets and and uh Ray and I will come on <laughs> down and and heckle you and, and and do an interview that was probably thirty three minutes longer than you had signed up for. Dana, thank you it's so right. much Thanks, for joining us. This was an awful lot of fun. We enjoyed it.
3: I appreciate it. All right, go Niners.
1: well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.
2: You got it. Dana Carvey. He was great.
4: Yeah, he, he's never not on. I mean, just that's what happens when you become that guy. You, you know what's expected of you and you deliver because he's been doing this i mean it's amazing how long he's been doing this
2: it is and it's being on as a comedian over the course of decades has got to be one of the biggest asks in show business i mean really it's that is hard every time you walk into a room someone is going to be expecting you to do something funny or brilliant or both
4: I suspect, though, that it's probably—it becomes second nature, where you know what people want when you're in the room. And even though you might not feel funny, you know that if you're not funny at that moment, somebody's going to go go on the Internet somewhere and say, I spent time with Dana Carvey and he was a drag.
2: Wasn't good at all. So, I, yeah. I, so
4: I no, I, I think I think they inherently get it. And after a while, it just becomes like muscle memory.
2: I hate to speak— ill of the dead
4: oh Uh, go ahead
2: no uh uh uh, i saw norm mcdonald at cobb's comedy club and again i I have reverence for any saturday night live member i don't know if norm did something that night but he went on stage and he wasn't really all there there was something was going on in norm's life at that moment shall we just say I, i don't it looked like he did something That as the night began to wore off, which made him funnier, but it was the most awkward first 20 minutes of a guy that you paid to see because you absolutely love him. You want him to be funny. Like you're even going to meet him in the middle of the road on something that's halfway funny with a big laugh because you want it to be a fun night out at a comedy club. And it was an awful lot of crickets for a headliner of that ilk at Cobb's Comedy Club that night. It got better as the night went along. I think... But, I'm dead serious. I think he did something. And then it wore off as the night went along.
4: Well, I I saw a comedian not very long ago who was trying out new stuff. And the audience wasn't receptive because they, they hadn't had enough liquor. I think it's clear. And after about 15 minutes the guy on stage, could sense that the audience wasn't with him. It ain't working. So he reverted back to old, familiar stuff and got them. But ultimately, you know, you want to go, you want to hear where his head is now. And you sort of get robbed of that when the audience isn't in at the beginning. So maybe he was trying new stuff. Maybe he was shovel-faced. I don't know. You were there. I wasn't. But that happens i think a fair amount with comedians is because you don't want the night to be a dragon if you're doing 55 minutes you know and you can tell within about 10 or 15 if the new stuff's not going over
2: it was i don't know if it was new stuff but he was trying to work to the you know san francisco and he just went with as many san francisco cliche like i think he opened up with a joke about being gay butt stuff and there might have even been like a Rice joke in there. Like it was, it was just like, seriously, Norm? Really? It was, it was bad. Anyway, um, Ray Ratto, the comedy club audience member, that's got to be one of the toughest uphills to climb for any comedian in the world. How do you do in a comedy club, Ray, other than meet the minimum drink re- requirement?
4: Uh, I try to exceed the minimum drink requirement. And I was there with a number of other people who were a, We're going to show mirth so that I didn't have to. Okay.
2: I just, Ray Rattle belly laughing. I've seen you giggle. I've seen you smirk. I might have even made you giggle or smirk once or twice. But the belly laughing, bent over, please stop. I'm about to pee my pants, Ray Rattle. I I can't even imagine what that looks like. Neither can I. (laughs) But that's why I brought cover. Nice. Go ahead and duck behind the people that you went to the club with. They're human shields. That's all they mean to me. So uh the road to Glendale is brought to you by Merrowest Credit Union working for you today tomorrow together uh the road down to Santa Clara is obviously eh, longer than clogged any- with traffic. Yeah, it's longer than anyone wants to sit in a road, you know, that, to me leaving San Francisco to attend a San Francisco 49ers game, it's never going to sit well with me. But thank God I get to walk in there with a press pass because I saw today that the price of meeting the Cowboys in the playoffs has officially jumped this ticket price to a level that maybe the 49ers had never even seen before. 49ers-Cowboys is trending to be the hottest ticket in 49ers history per Vivid Seats. Prices have jumped to 85% over asking uh, since the Cowboys punched their ticket. So hopefully you got in early the current get-in price current get-in single ticket worst ticket in the building is going for five hundred and sixty four dollars on average right now that's lower than i thought it would be half a grand for a fourth deck seat at Levi stadium yeah wow you got to be a big fan to want to do that the highest well, ticket price which better come with jet york waxing your car at halftime is forty eight thousand nine hundred and sixty eight dollars. If you're paying that, you didn't bring your car to the
4: game, so you'd have to fly jet into your home. Well, that's the thing, which you probably, is probably in South Lake Tahoe. You got choppered in. Yeah, just no. I mean that that I understand that I understand because people will spend any amount of money to be able to lord it over their friends that they spent that much amount that much money. The five hundred and sixty dollars. I think that's going to go up. I mean, does that does that include Vivid's usual 40% off the top fee?
2: I don't. I do not know. I cannot tell you that. I, I have not actually purchased a ticket to a sporting event in the better part of 20 years now, so I feel good about that.
4: Oh, th- th- paying for a sporting event, it, that usually comes with a hook that pulls you onto the deck of the boat.
2: The only tickets that I will buy are concert tickets and movie tickets. That's it. I... I, I Look, it's the only fringe benefit of a career in, in sports talk radio. You maybe get a credential to go to things with. That's right. your fringe benefit. That is the bonus that never comes in the check, the quarterly uh, stock bump that never comes with yeah. a career in radio.
4: Yeah, when they when they promise you a bonus, what they're promising promising you is nothing, but we're going to put a
2: fancy word on it. It's like when Woody was promoted to general bar manager at Cheers. No raise, but you get a new title, Woody. Yeah. So um, we kind of got into this yesterday because there have been an awful lot of questions about Trey Lance's future with the 49ers, and there shouldn't be much discussion of any future right now. The present is what officially matters the most for the 49ers right now. But the question of should the 49ers trade Lance is just, it's out there so often. I'm guessing people want it addressed by someone with, you know, true vision and authority on this topic, like you and me, right? <laughs> uh, no, they should not trade Trey Lance anytime soon. And Trey Lance, like, he needs to stop throwing emojis around. Let, um, let, you, Trey Lance, you don't have the right to start any drama yet. You haven't earned that yet. You need to be someone who recovers from now two surgeries. There was a second surgery for Trey Lance, which Tim Kawakami said, oh, by the way, that was not planned. You know, whether minor or not, however, they're trying to dismiss it or not. They were hoping one surgery, one and done, was going to get it. And this isn't a, well, they have to take the screws out. If that. No, 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 no. This wasn't a remove the screws second surgery. This is a... Something went wrong with the original surgery. Therefore, we're having a second surgery. He got hurt, what are we talking, four or five months ago? And he's still on crutches right now. He's on crutches right now because of that second surgery. So I don't want to see any emojis. I don't want to see any pining for another opportunity somewhere else because the opportunity here is still very much a robust opportunity. We know that Brock Purdy is a play away, a day away, from not playing starting quarterback. That's just the way it goes. And Trey Lance should know that better than anyone because that's really the only NFL experience that he's had so far. I was a starting quarterback, and then I was not. That requires
4: a level of security, both inwardly and outwardly, that the NFL does not give you very often. And if he's had a second surgery... I can easily see a scenario playing out in his head where he goes, well they're just going to get rid of me. You know, they they're going to look at me as injury prone and damaged goods. And we don't know what goes on inside the walls there, but he might be reacting to actual stimulus provided by people in the organization saying, "You know what? This might not work here for you." Now, who would say me, that? Who would say that? I that? don't know. I mean, maybe people who are friends of his are putting that in his head. I'm I'm not around him to his great relief. All I'm saying is he's reacting to something and it's not based on logic that you or I are aware of. But if he's reacting to something somewhere, it's out there and he's worried about it. So I don't sit there and say he shouldn't react to that it's hard not to it's an insecure job and an insecure
2: life in a very insecure sport you're right and it's an insecure generation that for whatever reason broadcast their insecurity at all times via social media which is an odd way to protect yourself from the criticism that probably lends itself to you being insecure anyway uh, i mean he
4: might he might have asked 49ers what is your plan for me next year and they might have given him a non-committal
2: answer could have been as simple as that well the plan is you're you're on the team we don't know what the plan is the plan has to be you're on it the team. doesn't have to be anything oh no we no don't no, know. no 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 it has to be because I'll, I'll tell you why it has to be lance is on the books for 9.3 million dollars and would represent a cap hit that would be the dead cap money on saying goodbye to him doesn't make sense to say goodbye to him so you keep him and remember he's also a player that they liked enough to trade up for and move all that draft capital for and they can't have fallen so completely out of love with him without us hearing about that in some way shape or form no one's heard that he's on the books for 9.3 million purdy's on the books for 889 thousand dollars next season that is an entire quarterback room for 10 and a half million dollars the only quarterback that I can tell you with certainty that I ain't going to be around next year rhymes with Jimmy Garoppolo. Given what we've
4: seen in the last year and a half, nobody can say anything with any certainty about how Kyle Shanahan is viewing the future. That's all I'm going to say. Jimmy Garoppolo was supposed to be fired. He's still here. Right. Jimmy Garoppolo had a big year till he got hurt. Now it's Brock Purdy. I wouldn't, I wouldn't bet on any scenario over any other scenario because we've seen that Kyle Shanahan views this world differently than anybody outside that building
2: right but this isn't Kyle having a single up and down vote to decide it this is Jimmy. oh no this
4: is Kyle no no no, no, a, no
2: Jimmy Garoppolo does not have to come back to the 49ers unless he wants to that and, was not the scenario of last offseason and if Kyle Shanahan wants to bring him back he
4: could start talking to Why would to him Jimmy want to come back? I don't know why Jimmy would want to come back. Why would he want two? to come back last year? Now, and yet, he didn't have yet, a choice, Ray. No, but they could have. Uh, he could have
2: agitated for a trade. He never said a word about it. How can you agitate for a trade when no one wants to trade for you? It doesn't matter. You could just say, get me out of here. No one and came you, for him. They did not want we to know get of. rid of
4: him. That we know of. I, I mean, the 49ers have established, through Kyle Shanahan, that they view the quarterback position different than most other teams. So simple logic is not automatic. I don't have the answer to any of these questions, but I do know that nobody had the answers to the questions asked a year ago because nobody saw any of this coming the way it came out, starting with firing Jimmy Garoppolo so you could bring him back.
2: Right, but you don't need a crystal ball to see that Jimmy Garoppolo wasn't necessarily happy with one object in his rearview mirror. Now he's got two objects in his rearview mirror, and there are going to be other NFL opportunities that will, from day one, have him in the driver's seat. So why would you even bother returning when you know that the guy that they drafted, they want to play in front of you, and then the guy that they totally stumbled into, by luck, with the last pick of the NFL draft, is probably already better at this than you anyways. And for the price, if the price of doing business means something, then Brock Purdy is a million times the quarterback Jimmy Garoppolo could possibly be for the 49ers. Ray, my mortgage on jimmy garoppolo not being here next year i'll put my mortgage on that you won't put your mortgage on it one your wife won't let you and
4: justifiably so secondly based on what we saw a year ago i put my money on no scenario making more i mean from the outside you're right but what everybody would you say stop doing that or i'll stop doing it what'd you say
2: I thought I heard. Okay, here's what I said. You were right. But
4: you, you're no, saying what I you were right, Damon. Sports don't build no, character. No, 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 They reveal
2: it. 12 more minutes with me. Jesus Christ.
4: <laughs> Grandy, go out and get a
2: gun. Shoot no, me. No,
4: no, no. No, all no, I'm no. saying is we thought we had this figured out last year, and we didn't. Kyle Shanahan thinks about this differently than you or I or anybody else. I'm going to give him a very wide berth about what he wants to do here because he's already established, A, that he doesn't do stuff that people consider normal, and B, it
2: works. Right, but he cannot control the uncontrollable, and he has zero control over Jimmy Garoppolo this offseason. But he can talk to him about staying if he wants to keep him. If Jimmy were to stay knowing that he's going into a three-man quarterback competition when he could automatically be a day-one starter of the Carolina Panthers, I would be so disappointed in him. I would be so disappointed
4: in him. Disappointment is what we all live with. Really, from three to six every day. Like my I co-host. I that was about to say, my co-host. Yeah, yeah. no, I all As I'm we saying we continue
2: is, from the studio of depression. Yeah,
4: I mean, I mean, seriously, I'm tapping a vein right now, hoping to find something I
2: could put a needle in,
4: See, this just what, to get
2: through the rest of the day. So I thought Norm McDonald began his set.
4: If it was heroin, I don't know that he would have gotten better as the night went on.
2: It wears off. It wears off.
4: Well, that depends on what time. Well, never mind.
2: (laughs) It depends on what time you spike up.
4: We're we're trying to figure out a way to slander the dead. How about this?
2: Instead of swearing this day in the stream, Ray and I are going to give you the right four steps that you should probably follow on your way to your heroin overdose. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Always have a methadone clinic nearby because you can't guarantee that you'll get a lift in time.
2: Mr. Christian, oh, your time has come. You see what I did there? Does that ring any bells at all? It's the second Boogie Nights reference of the stream. Well, that would have been two more than I would have got. The Christian we're talking about, obviously, of McCaffrey. I saw this today. In his 49ers postseason debut, Christian McCaffrey had 15 carries for 119 yards as well as two catches, 17 yards, and a touchdown. His 119 rushing yards were the most on NFL wildcard weekend by any human being playing in it. His first ever postseason game came with the Panthers back in 2018 when he had 116 scrimmage yards and a receiving touchdown. He has registered 100 or more scrimmage yards and a touchdown in each of his first two career of playoff games. With the same result, with 100 more scrimmage yards and one more touchdown this week, he will join future Hall of Famer Larry Fitzgerald as one of only two players since the merger to accomplish that feat in your first three playoff games. That would be pretty damn impressive. If he catches a touchdown, Purdy would join Ricky. I only need the ball 35 times to be effective coach waters as the only running back in NFL history postseason history to register one or more receiving touchdowns in three consecutive postseason games, and he'd be the first to do it in his first three postseason games. Christian McCaffrey is rubbing elbows in statistical might-be's and R's with so many great NFL players. Every single time you look at what his numbers are in comparison to history, he's usually being compared to a Hall of Fame wide receiver or running back. It's it's amazing. And I I'm, I'm not putting Ricky Waters in the Hall of Fame, but he was in the hall of very good for a while. Yeah, um McCaffrey is
4: one of those guys who if he does this for four more years, he's a lock. If he retires on Monday, he's he won't get in. But he's in that middle ground where he can see it from where he's standing. What makes him good though is that he's not looking at that yet. Because I think he is finally fully enjoying what he's doing with a team that has a genuine expectation of doing this again and again.
2: Well, and he's also, he's wearing the hat of humble superstar almost as well as Steph Curry is able to wear it. I mean, Curry has a level of humility that should be dwarfed by now by his global popularity that no football player ever really has a chance of running into. Other than Tom Brady himself, and maybe, you know, a few other guys. But Christian McCaffrey is never going to be among the most popular, recognizable athletes on the planet. This is the burden of playing a helmeted sport as well.
4: It's also the burden of playing a sport that's only played really in two countries in the world.
2: <laughs> There's that, too. There is that, too. But McCaffrey is, is a comparison point to Steph Curry based on two things. It is the level of humility, not asking for more attention than anybody else gets around here. This really is a team game. And he gets that. And then he also gets the concept of gravity that we almost give to Steph Curry, Clay, when he's on it, Jordan Poole, rare occasional, of gravity. You know, this guy's gravity is so significant and opens up everything else. I think that that's a great way to describe Christian McCaffrey. There is a level of gravity to him. That is is undeniable, and when you talk about things opening up for Kittle, for Debo, for Ayuk, Christian McCaffrey, not involved in those plays, stands in the middle of every single one of those plays. No, he's the he is the true catalyst
4: that, that makes everything else work. I mean, it's not coincidental that once he became the full time guy, uh, they stopped losing football games because he made other guys better in ways that you normally only find in elite quarterbacks. Him having the ball 25 times a game is the most sensible way to bring out the best in other people, even though it might mean they get a couple fewer touches per game each. It's just... It's the value of having a great running back, and it's why... When you look at this trade, you find out that Carolina, even though it felt it had to get rid of them because they were cleaning the decks for a whole new rebuild, got fleeced. Even if they hit on all the draft choices, they got fleeced because none of those draft choices will be as good. When you trade a player of that value, you never get value back. All you can get is quantity. We'll
2: see. We'll see. I mean, I'm not going to prejudge... Four NFL careers, not knowing who they are, where they come from, or how is going to come together. I didn't know where their next head coach is going to be, and neither do they right now. But you're right. Living up to... Yeah, that that makes up for the trading Christian McCaffrey. That's going to be a very, very tall bill for anyone to fill out. Um, it's always, Maybe if they get Victor Wimbanyama. If they can do that. I mean, that's a move you make. It's always amazing to me how the position of running back became devalued almost by law, by every team in the draft, no one wanting to spend a high-leverage draft pick to the point where when you see that the 49ers made gambles on Trey Sermon in the third round, there are those who said that's still too early to go looking for running back, especially with a guy like Kyle Shanahan who has taken dudes off the street and turned them into 1,000-yard rushers in his career, dotted throughout his career. But you also then turn around and see how a guy like Christian McCaffrey changes everything and and how you devalue a running back there, you just simply can't do it. I also saw this today. So the Tampa Bay Buccaneers were as one-dimensional as you can find this season, right? They averaged, as a matter of fact, only 76.9 rushing yards per game, which was the fewest in the NFL this season and second fewest all time by a playoff team. How about that? The second fewest yards ever, rushing yards, by a team to qualify for the postseason. The lowest ever, nine, Or the uh, 2008 Arizona Cardinals, who lost the Super Bowl with 74 rushing yards per game. But again, how'd they get there? They had a future Hall of Fame quarterback in Kurt Warner. This year's Buccaneers team against 77 yards, they lost last week, but how'd they get there? They had a Hall of Fame quarterback in Tom Brady. Uh, future Hall of Fame quarterback. Happened to the Colts twice in 2008 and 2009, where they averaged 80 yards and 81 yards in consecutive years, so no lessons learned there, losing in the wild-card round and then in the Super Bowl. But again, who got them there? It was Peyton Manning, future Hall of Fame quarterback. Or is he officially now in? Did they put him in yet? He's still waiting. Um, he's I, I like his chances, let me just say. Here's what's crazy. The other team on this list is the 1999 Detroit Lions, who averaged 78 yards, who had the future Hall of Fame quarterback of... Oh, no, excuse me. They did not. There was no reason to just not run the ball other than they didn't have much to run the ball with. Their quarterbacks that year were Charlie Batch taking over for Gus Farrat. I could see how other teams would become one-dimensional by design, and to have just 78 rushing yards be your single-season single season total average... You, you are throwing the ball intentionally that many times. I don't know what the, the Lions were doing that year. But well, the,
4: li- the Lions were backing be- into a playoff spot that they probably didn't earn as part of their, Ross, baby. their two decades of we can't find a running back. I mean, that was standard operating procedure for them. And in fact, it probably, I mean, this is probably the best running attack they've had in two and a half decades. Easily. They haven't had a running back worthy of the name since Barry Sanders. Well, Peyton did get in the Hall of Fame. Pardon me. Yeah. Um, no, I just... Detroit is the anomaly that proves your point, which is that if you don't have a running team and you don't have a running back to get you a running game, you're going to throw the ball like an idiot. And that's what that's what the Lions did, even with Charlie Batch and Gus Farrat. They threw the ball all the time because they didn't trust any of the human beings behind the quarterback.
2: Well... Neither the Cowboys nor the Niners throw the ball all the time. These are two coaches, two teams, who by design and by personnel are committed to running the football, so we got a very fun fight coming up on Sunday. Looking forward to it. we got one more show, and it's going to be just like today. We will start it in the studio of depression. We'll do 30 minutes on the air. Then we're going to go ahead and hop into the stream to get you finally ready once and for all for 49ers and Cowboys coming up. Coming up next here, right on the stream, if that's where you are, and if you're listening to me, of course that's where you are, we've got Tim Roy calling the action next. Boston and Warriors... Does that sound good to you? Sounds pretty good to me. Hopefully it sounds good enough to the Warriors to have their full attention, at least defensively tonight. So that is coming up next. Thanks so much to Dana Carvey for joining us. Great job by Lucas and Grandy. I think Nahagian even might have had a hand in pulling that guest today, too. So thank you to all involved, and thanks to Dana Carvey. Thanks to you, Honey Bunches. Guess who the leading running
4: back for that Lions team was. Um, 100 bucks if you get it within three guesses.
2: Hall, no, man.
4: Guess faster! I want to go home.
2: No, I, I I'm, I'm out of questions. If it was, because God, they were, they were just terrible back then. They had nothing in their running back department. Who was it? Kevin Jones. Kevin Jones, which might have been an alias. Seriously, I, I, we're gonna have to check fingerprints on that one. Uh for Ray, tons of fun, Ratto. I'm Damon. Thank you very much for listening, and please do remember, sports don't build character. They reveal it. And like that,
1: he's gone. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof?